This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 532, Mike Kingery, outfielder for the Seattle Mariners. Okay, before we get to Mike, we have some follow-up from previous episodes. I see in the notes here, David, that we need to go back to Don Ossie and discuss the pronunciation of his name again. This is more about an apology that I owe you, Matt. How do you say the word that most people would say, kielbasa? Uh, Kobasi. I'm going to direct you to the 1992 Pirates Twitter account, Mm. where they have posted a 1972 Pittsburgh Pirates food menu, reminding listeners that Matt's family comes from the Pittsburgh area, featuring the following items. The last one for 85 cents, if you want to pass on a Zoom Zoom dog mit kraut, you could get a kolbasi on a roll. So, Matt, I owe you an apology. I believe on the Don Ossie episode, I suggested that you and only your family uniquely pronounced (laughs) kielbasa in this way that I have never heard before. For that, I apologize. Well, I appreciate it, David. This menu looks fantastic. I've seen some others like these kind of kicking around ballpark menus from different cities across the U.S. through time. This menu from Three River Stadium... The kolbasi on a roll is definitely what I would have gone for and would hope that there'd be sauerkraut on it, that mitt kraut would be in effect there as well. But 50 cent beer, popcorn and a megaphone for 25 cents. I'm not really sure what that means. 60 cent hamburger, 50 cents hot dog with chili. Man, $3 and you could do very, very well at this concession stand. These would be the prices that my dad would have paid in high school going to Pirates games at Three Rivers. One surprising item that is not listed here that I've seen on others of these old-timey baseball menus, no cigarettes on the menu. (laughs) Why would you need to sell them? Everybody had them already. That's true. You could could bum one from the guy next to you because he bought a pack for a nickel. Yeah, Lenny's sitting right next to you. He's got one or two to spare. He probably owes you a couple anyway. No doubt that there'd be smokes in abundance at that point. Or just take a deep breath. And breathe that beautiful steel mill air. One question I have about the different items. There's at least five different kinds of individual sausages Mm. here. We've got a a bratwurst. We've got a zoom zoom dog. We've got a knockwurst. We've got a kolbasi. We've got a hot dog. But the first one just says sausage on a roll. Is there a specific Pittsburgh sausage that that would be? Is that just a dealer's choice? (laughs) Yeah, it's just a grab bag. Just a grab bag. I don't know the answer to that. Any listeners who might have a perspective on 1970s Three Rivers Stadium concessions, why don't you email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com and let us know. But now let's get to this week's card and Mike Kingery. And why are we talking about Mike today? Mike Kingery's name came up in the Danny Tartable episode. I knew nothing about this guy except I knew I had seen his card. Specifically this card, but he played for a long time, so cards throughout the 80s and 90s. Just a name that I recognized, but I wasn't sure why. The last few episodes have been bigger names, so if this was a concert, maybe now's the time to go use the bathroom. We've just done the big (laughs) hits. Now we're we're hitting the B-sides. So welcome new listeners. Uh, If you're used to Jack Clark and Vod Hayes, 
you're also going to get some Mike Kingeries. Mike Kingery has a Sabre bio by Doug Ernst, and he was covered by our friends over at Greatest 21 Days blog. Mike had a long lead-up to his professional debut and was not your typical professional player. Then he had a quad A career, bouncing back and forth between AAA and the majors, and then had a late career resurgence in Colorado. Fantastic. Well, let's get to the front of 532 and Mike Kingery. Mike Kingery here looks like he is about 120 yards to the pin, and he's got a pitching wedge, and he's kind of got a little bit of an open stance, and he's taking a nice, easy swing to try to plop that up on the green. Does not look like the end of a strong baseball swing. This no, looks like a no, golf swing. No, compared to Jack Clark last week, where like where he wanted to murder the ball, this one just looks like a soft caress with a little bit of backspin, just trying to place that just a couple yards past the pin and funnel down toward the hole. It's a strange stance, too. His arms aren't extended. This is the the very end of a swing. So it really makes Mike look like he's golfing in the batting cage. We haven't had many action shots in the batting cage. We've had preseason action shots. We've had posed shots. But this one, strange action shot in the cage. And his helmet also makes this look like this is not live game action because that's not covering enough of his head. No, it's it's not at all. There's no one in the crowd here, too. There's six people back there. Not much action going on at the plate or in the crowd. Let's go to the back of 532. And we have Mike Kingery, outfielder, 6 feet 180, left-handed batter and thrower, signed by the Royals as a free agent in 1979. Born March 29th, 1961 in St. James, Minnesota, with a home in Atwater, Minnesota. I'm not sure if Mike is related to Robert Kingery, former director of the Illinois Public Works. Robert Kingery has a highway name for him out by where I grew up in DuPage County, nor is he related to Scott Kingery, from what I could find, who recently played for the Philadelphia Phillies. Mike was born in St. James, which is the county seat of Watonwan County, which has about 4,000 people in the town of St. James. But at six months, the family moved to Atwater, which is about an hour north of St. James. Atwater is a smaller town. When Mike was there, it was just under 1,000 people, around 900 people. Now it's just over 1,000 people, about 1,100. And that is in Candiohi County. Candiohi County comes from the Dakota word for where the buffalo fish come through. Never seen a buffalo fish, David. Nor have I, except in this picture, and they look giant. They can grow up to four feet in length and live over 100 years. One was on record 127 years old. What? I guess the size of them is what makes them a buffalo fish. It didn't really look like a buffalo, but they're, they're really big. Mike's parents were Ken and Marion, and Ken owned and operated the Atwater Bowling Center. Mike had four brothers, Doug, Bob, Tom, and Jim. All the brothers played sports, but Doug was a standout. Doug would later be a competitive bowler, so having that bowling alley in his youth was helpful to Doug, and Doug also was a star on the local high school teams that he played on. Even though Doug was 11 years older than Mike, he would let his little brother play on teams with him, and that helped develop Mike's skills, and he also provided some coaching to his younger brother. Mike played in high school and also with the American Legion team and VFW team, and he was the star. 
in the first game of a doubleheader with one of his VFW teams, he singled, then stole second, third, and home. After the game, his coach stopped him and he said, nobody's going to want to play us if you keep doing this to the teams. <laughs> and as happened, the opponents forfeited the second game rather than face them again. Mike was clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the opponents, but he ended up getting passed over in the draft. Yeah, Mike was scouted by the Royals' Art Stewart. Stewart turned down professional baseball offers and instead became a semi-pro coach and then a scout for the Yankees. In 1969, he joined the Royals and remained with the team until his death in 2021 at the age of 94. Stewart was the head of scouting from 1984 to 1996 and signed players like Brian McRae, Tom Gordon, Kevin Seitzer, Bo Jackson, Kevin Apier, Mike Sweeney, Johnny Damon, and Carlos Beltran. He was inducted into the Royals Hall of Fame in 2008, but he didn't draft Mike after high school. In fact, Mike wasn't offered a D1 scholarship at all. Only one Division II school made him an offer. So how does he make it onto this card? Art Stewart was at a tournament in Minnesota two months after the draft. Kingery was pitching, but Stewart stuck around to watch him hit. And he saw that Kingery had good speed. He said he was four seconds flat to first base. And Stewart also saw that Kingery had a good swing. And he said what this told him was that there's parts of the country where kids don't have favorable schedules, quote unquote, cold country. (laughs) So Kingery wasn't on anybody's radar because during the spring in Minnesota, it's too cold. You can't have consistent playing time. Maybe you don't make the news. Baseball isn't the biggest thing happening when it's snowing outside in March and April. But even though he had been passed up in the draft, Stewart thought he could sign Kingery. He ended up calling the front office in Kansas City and told them that Mike would be a project, but they should make him an offer. Kingery thought coming from a town of a thousand people, this might be his only chance to play professionally. So he signed with the Kansas City Royals. So he takes the chance, he takes that opportunity, but his minor league journey was a long one. We'll see on the back of the card his first line in 1980, and his first time in the majors in 1986. Rookie league in 1980, he hit 224 in 44 games, playing decent outfield, but 224 is not all that promising. The next two seasons, he was at A-ball in Charleston, and there all year with no call-ups to double-A. 1981, he hit 268 in 69 games with 12 steals. 1982, he was much better, probably deserved a call-up, hitting 318 with eight homers and 25 stolen bases. That year, he married his wife, Chris, and they are still married today. In 83, he moves up to high A Fort Myers, and he was okay. 266, two home runs, 31 steals, good speed, not a lot of power. He had a 681 OPS. Finally moves up to double A Memphis in 1984, and he hit well, leading the team with a 297 average, also added 93 walks, had a 412 on base percentage. And we get a fun fact that is that on June 23rd, 1984, Mike belted two grand slams in the first game of a twin bill at Jacksonville, a seven inning game. He belted a three-run homer in the nightcap for 11 RBIs overall. That's pretty amazing. I missed that seven-inning game. So he had two grand slams in a seven-inning game. If you look at the line in Memphis that year, he only had four home runs. So these three home runs in one day made up three-quarters of his power (laughs) output that season. A huge day, June 23rd. 
five days before my fourth birthday. Good job, Mike. Well, by 1985, he was up to AAA. He's 24 years old at this point. He hit only 255, still not much power, only two home runs, but he was getting noticed. He was mentioned in an article with Royals' number one picks, pointing out their different paths to that point. But then in 1986, he rose to another level. He hit 332 with eight triples and 22 steals through 79 games. The Royals had just won the World Series in 1985. They had Daryl Motley as their right fielder, who was inconsistent in 85 but had a good World Series. Motley didn't play well the beginning of 1986. The Royals had fallen off. Some of that may have been due to manager Dick Hauser's illness and suffering from a brain tumor. Hauser ends up stepping aside at the All-Star break, which was right around when Kingery was called up. In his first game, Mike got a single. In his second at bat off Mike Boddicker. But in 62 games that season, Mike played fine. He hit 258 with three home runs and seven steals. And he showed that he was a solid outfielder. You know, nothing that jumps out at us on the card. And then we have what should be a This Way to the Clubhouse. It was included on Danny Tartable and Scott Bankhead's cards. But no, we need to get all seven minor league lines on this card, I guess. And a fun fact about double-A home runs. But if you recall from the Danny Tartable and Scott Bankhead episodes, Mike was traded along with Scott Bankhead and Steve Shields to the Mariners in exchange for Rick Lucan and Danny Tartable. Bankhead was coming off an okay rookie season, but was highly regarded as he was a 1984 first-round pick. And Kingery was expected to take Danny Tartable's spot in right field. He was going to be a defensive upgrade with maybe his bat not as good as Danny Tartable's. Shields would start okay for Seattle, but then got hit in the face by a ball and was out for the rest of the 1987 season after just a few games. Early in the 1987 season, an article said M's trade looks good. Aside from that unfortunate Shields incident, Kingery and Bankhead were playing well. By May, Bankhead was 5-2, and two, and Kingery said everybody thought KC got the best of the deal, but we got three players that made the ball club from spring training. Kingery was mostly happy that he had a chance to play every day. And right around this time, he hit a two-run double off of Roger Clemens in a 4-3 win against the Red Sox. The Mariners won their fourth in a row. That put them at 18-14. and And this Mariners team, in their history, had never finished over 500. But at this point, they were playing pretty well. Mike was hitting close to 300. They fell back to earth and under 500 on the season. But Kingery played regularly throughout the 1987 season, appearing in what would end up being a career-high 120 games. Mike hit 280 with nine home runs and a career-high 52 RBIs that first season in Seattle. He played solid defense, as expected, and was valued at 1.3 war. He led American League right fielders in fielding percentage with a 992 average, fifth in assists. So this was not really a one-for-one trade but the player that he replaced was hitting 309 with 34 home runs and 101 RBIs in Kansas City. So yeah, a defensive upgrade, but definitely an offensive downgrade. Due to Tartable's terrible defense, he was valued at 2.2 war, but on paper, Mariners fans kind of felt like they got the raw end of this trade. And it didn't get better when you looked at the next few years for Tartable and the next few years for Mike Kingery. In 88 and 89, Mike split time between Seattle and AAA. He struggled with limited playing time, hitting around 200 at the big league level, 
those two seasons. But when he was dropped down to AAA, getting more at-bats, getting more playing time, he was hitting around 300. In 1988, Seattle had traded for Glenn Bowe, so they had Glenn Wilson playing in right field. Then they had Darnell Cole starting at right field in 1989. So even when he was up at the big league level, Kingery was a backup option. He ends up signing as a free agent with San Francisco in 1990, starting the season at AAA Phoenix. Kevin Bass had been the starting right fielder, and he dealt with some injuries in 1990. And even though Kingery was only hitting 240, they needed a guy with big league experience. And he came up and performed well in 105 games, hit 295. 41 of those games were starts. So he had a lot of pinch hitting at bats, and he hit 412 as a pinch hitter, 7 for 17 with a triple. And when he was getting playing time late in the season, he hit 351. Not surprising that when he was given his most starts, 17 of those 41 starts came in September and October that he hit at his best. 1991, Kingery was used almost exclusively as a pinch hitter or defensive sub. He hit 250 as a pinch hitter with an overall average of 182. He spent some time at AAA that year as well. Lack of regular playing time made this a difficult year for him. Then in 1992, he signed with Oakland, played briefly in April for the A's, but then hit 300 at AAA. Then on his baseball reference page, there's a break in his major league stats. In 1993, Kingery was thinking about what to do with the rest of his career. And he thought if he was going to end up being in the minors, he should sign somewhere close to where his family made their home in Minnesota. Kansas City's AAA team at this point was the closest to his home in Atwater. And so he signed a AAA deal and started out at Omaha. He's 32 years old and he hit 263 with 10 home runs. This looks like it could be a last line on the card where a guy just has a AAA season, doesn't get called up, is in his 30s, spends their whole year in AAA. But it's not for Mike. The Rockies, relatively new team. They need players or 95 loss season that they're coming off of. Mike tries out and makes the team out of spring training. He was only hitting 200 in spring training, but the Rockies needed defensive help. So they expected that Mike would be a backup to Ellis Burks. He played only 28 games through the first six weeks of the season and only started seven games. But he was hitting 350 in the limited playing time, enjoying that Rocky Mountain air. Then Ellis Burks got injured. He injured his wrist and was out for 70 games. This gave Mike the opening that he needed. And while he went 0 for 4 in the first game, the rest of the season, he said it was the most relaxed he had ever been. He hit 354 for the rest of the year. Unfortunately, the season ended with a strike on August 11th. Mike at that point had a 349 average and a 126 OPS+. He credited Don Baylor for that success. He said Don Baylor was his favorite manager. And he also said that the team was a bunch of rejects, guys who hadn't made it on other teams as they were still an expansion team. Not a lot was expected of them, but he said they all got along really well and it made for a really relaxed environment. He does show up on the National League leaderboards with an asterisk. His 349 average and 409 on-base percentage were third and ninth, respectively, but he didn't have enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title. He still shows up on there because the way that they calculate it, if you don't have enough plate appearances, they just add however many plate appearances it would take to get you 
3.1 per team games played, and then they give you zero hits for that. So even with those zero hits, he still shows up on the leaderboard and just had a fantastic season. Also, his eight triples were third in the National League, and he didn't strike out a lot. 11.6 at-bats per strikeout was fifth in the National League. Now, my first assumption in seeing this was that it was just the thin Colorado air and the very long distance from the center of the earth affecting Mike's hitting. But it turns out he hit better on the road than he did at home. He hit 362 on the road, and all four of his home runs came away from Colorado. Just a really remarkable season and one that doesn't make sense when looking at the rest of his stats. It also was much better than any of his teammates. Some of his teammates, you would expect, all right, if everybody's having a big year for Colorado, nobody was hitting as good as Mike Kingery was hitting. He he caught lightning in a bottle that year. And then when the strike hit, it kind of hit at the worst time because he was having this career season and he just went back to Atwater, spent his free time volunteering as a coach for his high school team. 1995, the Rockies moved from Mile High Stadium to Coors Field. Mike didn't replicate that big year from 1994, but he was still solid, 269 with eight home runs and five stolen bases. The Rockies went 77 and 67 and finished second in the National League West. They won the wild card and made the playoffs. Mike got a chance to play in all four games against Atlanta and went two for 10 in the three games to one series loss. In 1996, he wasn't re-signed, and he signed a two-year deal with Pittsburgh. And at this point, he and his wife, Chris, counted up the moves. They had moved 52 times in the last 17 years. That can get to a person, I imagine. (laughs) But Mike wasn't ready to hang it up just yet. The two sides of this, if you're a guy who's played for that many teams, it could be because those teams don't want you, or it could be, as Jim Leland said, because everybody wants a guy like Mike Kingery on your team. He said, in this particular case, it's a compliment that he's bounced around. This is a guy who can usually fit in on a club anywhere pretty good. Managers are always looking for that kind of player. And Mike was okay that first season of his contract. He hit 246 in 117 games. But the next January, he was released from this contract, and he calls it a career. So closing the book on Mike Kingery, 10 years in the major leagues, 17 seasons in pro baseball overall. In the majors, he hit 268 with 30 home runs, 219 RBIs, and 26 triples, playing in 819 games. In the minor leagues, he hit 287 with 40 home runs, 160 steals, and almost a hit a game in 1,143 games in the minors. How about in retirement? Mike and his wife, Chris, had eight kids. Rachel, Anna, Michelle, Rebecca, Elizabeth, Abigail, David, and Joshua. And initially, Mike didn't know what he would do. But as he's back in Atwater, everybody knows the pro baseball player in town. Parents would come up to him and ask for coaching help for their kids. So he started a school called Solid Foundation Baseball School, teaching high school and college players in central and southern Minnesota. His family also has a website dedicated to their family music and ministry, thekingeryfamily.com. The family records Christian, gospel, and bluegrass music, and it's available on this website. And the family has expanded even more now. So including Mike, Chris, and the eight kids, there's also now three sons-in-law and nine grandkids. And Mike is also on that website. You can hire him for public speaking engagements. (laughs) He stays busy coaching and doing this family business. 
Well, David, from this very relaxed and low-key front of the card, we ended up with, a, like you said, a quad A player who was a family man. Now looking more at his career, what, what should we think? Mike Kingery had an interesting career. In the, between 1986 and 1992, he had two seasons where he played over 100 games. And then somehow at 33 makes this comeback and has three straight seasons where he plays over 100 games and is a key contributor on a playoff team, has a season where he's in the top 10 in batting average and on-base percentage, and just really turned it around. And, and I think that's partially due to his persistence. Mike Kingery is a small-town guy. thousand people live in that town that he lives in, and everybody knows that's the baseball guy. When the strike hit, he was among the league leaders in batting average, and he said he didn't want to go back to Atwater. He said he was a little bit embarrassed because as the only major leaguer in the history of his county, he didn't want people to think he was entitled or whining for more money, and he said he didn't really want the strike to happen, not just because his personal stats would, were at stake, but the strike did disrupt that best season as a big leaguer, and you can imagine having had those ups and downs and disappointment in the minor leagues and major leagues. And some of that disappointment seemed to come when he wasn't getting consistent playing time. He finally gets a chance. He's finally getting consistent playing time and he's making the most of it. And then it's all pulled out from under him. And so that must've been disappointing for Mike. But when he got to Pittsburgh, he said, a lot of times it looked like I was ready for them to drive a stake through my heart, but then I'd resurface somewhere. And that's always been very gratifying. Mike Kingery was just a guy who was not ready to give up and wasn't ready to quit. I've seen other guys on Baseball Reference have better rookie league stats than Mike's 224. It's kind of amazing that they kept him around and moved him up to A-ball and didn't make him do a second season in rookie league. But Mike had this persistence and spent six and a half years in the minor leagues, some of them good years, some of them mediocre years, before finally getting that chance and then turning that into a 10-season career in the major leagues. It's pretty remarkable. At the time of this card, he wasn't going to replace Danny Tartable's power or the upside that Danny Tartable had. Mike Kingery at this, at this time was 25 years old. He was already beyond being a prospect, and Danny Tartable was on the verge of superstardom. But as we've seen with other players, value and wins above replacement value can come in different shapes. And they had a remarkably similar value within one win above replacement, even though Mike Kingery hit 280 and Danny Tartable hit 34 home runs. Kingery provided decent value to the 87 Mariners, a solid average and good defense, and just was a good outfielder. And he carried that on for 10 years, and sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and you hit 350. As Jim Leland said, a guy that can fit in on any team... We've seen like how valuable that can be and can make such a difference when, when you're jumping around from team to team. And now the fact that he's teaching kids and other players to do the same is great. And I always love hearing about a family bluegrass band. So nice ending to the story too. So thank you very much for that, David. And thank you to you at home. If you're about to sit down with the family and do a little bluegrass jam and get that banjo out, Take a video and share it with us on threads. We're at 1988 Tops Podcast. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.